Today, we're going to be discussing three separate Pfizer safety documents on Comirnaty or the BNT162 COVID vaccine. I cannot believe the regulators in the United States, in Europe, and Australia individually and collectively missed what we're about to look at. So, hey, thanks so much for being here. It's good to be back with you. It's always fun to be here doing what I do, which is scouting for information, spending a lot of time figuring out how to present it, and then being here with you, talking about it and seeing what comes of it. Because it's time for us to move to common knowledge. We have to get there. It's way past time to get past this charade. We need to get on with some very important things in this world. And it begins, there can be no reconciliation without truth, they said in uh, ending apartheid in South Africa. I agree with that. I agree with the idea. So let's get to the truth as much as we can. And we'll start here by looking at the safety documents now. We're looking at a couple of them uh, from the EU and Australia, but of course the FDA has these as well. Actually, one from one from the US as well. So here are the three that we're gonna be reviewing. This is the first one. I reviewed this one many months ago, and this was the first 2.3 months, as it were, about two months of safety data that Pfizer had collected in what's called post-marketing surveillance. So that's cumulative analysis of post-authorization adverse event reports, and this was from through the 28th of February, 2021. And of course they started with the vaccinations on the 19th of December, 2020. Here's another report. This is the PSUR. This is out of the uh, EMA's grasp in Europe. So the periodic safety update report, and this is from December 19th, 2020, through the 18th of June, 2021. So six months there and as well just released through FOIA and we just got our hands on it from Australia is this one here which is the cumulative number of case reports this is a total of 16 months of data and as of April 16 2022 so when we compare all three of these we should be able to get a pretty decent picture and we do and unfortunately it's not a great picture now as a reminder this initial FOIA that I was talking about last week and um, this is from FOIA number 3727 and I got this off of Rebecca Barnett's Substack and she just wrote another piece to follow up that earlier piece because some people had said including they have a response from Australia the TGA said oh those weren't uh, th those weren't actually what you think they were where we said causality didn't imply causality so let's look at that real quick here she writes the TGA is responding to claims that they hid child vaccine deaths. Uh, TGA says, and I shall paraphrase, nuh-uh, uh, but let's take a look at what they said. They said here, this is weasel wording, odd language. Ready for this? The TGA has not determined the mentioned cases to be causally linked to COVID-19 vaccination. <clears throat> well, the TGA has not determined. Um, the, does that mean they've determined that they were not? Or have they not yet come to a determination? Or has somebody besides the TGA already determined that, but the TGA didn't make the determination? This isn't clear language right here. So it's very odd. Whenever I see nebulous bureaucratic speak language, I always think they're hiding something because they always are. Uh, the TGA has not determined the mentioned cases to be causally linked to COVID-19 vaccination. This assessment has not changed and the TGA rejects interpretations otherwise in the strongest possible terms. The inclusion of variations of the word causality in the documents represent template text, not a description of a decision. It is false and misleading to state that the TGA has determined these cases to be linked to vaccination. Template text, hmm, template text. You know what I think of when I think of a template? 
A template is something that has a consistent, uniform application. That's why we call it a template, right? So here they say right here, nah, what you saw there was really just, uh, when we use the word causality, that was because it was just template text. It was just, you know, something had to go there and the template used that word causality. Uh, really? Hmm. So here we see one of these things in their template text is right here, causality. That's what it says right on this, which there were 10 separate reports we could look at, and that's how they wrote it on that one, causality. So just a template, maybe, but we can see here that on another one, the template kicked out causality again, or WHO equals U. Here, causality assessment outcome, which is in a different format from this one, template, with a different format, says WHO equals U awaiting in blue, whatever that means. Unlikely causality here. Here's one in, in uh, brackets, causality assessment outcome. And in this one, it was question mark causality. Uh, these are all from their documents where they claim that these are just template artifacts. Well, TGA, you got some work to do to make your templates more consistent because that doesn't look like templates to me. So again, this smells, tastes, and in the strongest possible terms, I reject their uh, explanation here as being non-explanatory. This is just not good. Um, so as we go forward, what did the TGA have in their hot little hands and what should they have been doing? That's what we're gonna look at here. Now, this is the document that comes from the TGA through that FOIA 3727. Here it is. So I just went over this with my members back at Peak Prosperity a week ago, and I thought, mm, there's parts of this I have to bring forward out here for you too, because we all need to know about this. So we should look at this. This was an appendix which they hid. People had to ask for it, then they had to FOIA it, and then they got this. It came out um, without some other supporting documents. You have to pry things out of the TGA's hot little hands one by one by one. Back to their explanation here saying, uh-uh, they say, um, uh, they went on to say, oh, you know, and, and we just, we didn't want to release any of these things because we were worried that you would misinterpret them, you and your poor little stupid heads out there. And maybe, you know, the parents, the, the family members afflicted would, would be hurt by that in some way, shape or form. When in fact, in truth, the family members are dying for anybody to come forward and just please talk to them and, and give them at least the catharsis of knowing that somebody cares and that somebody's looking into it. We're not getting that, we're getting this instead, which is uh, not cool. So this says cumulative number of case reports. Now there's two things, there's a case report and then there's an adverse event. There might be one case which has one adverse event or there might be one case which has many adverse events. You're always gonna have fewer cases than adverse events because some people have more than one adverse event for a case, but a case refers back to a human, all right? So cumulative number of case reports, these are people having serious and non-serious medically confirmed and non-medically confirmed events from post-marketing data sources. Overall, they've broken this down by sex, country, age groups, and in special populations and summary tabulation by preferred term, that's a PT, that's what a preferred term is, and Medra system organ class. So they're gonna break this down in a lot of different ways and, and when they do, right here, on page one, before they've even gotten to a single adverse event listing through either preferred term or Medra system organ classification, I see a major nasty signal jumping off of this particular page. Can you spot it? 
It's right here. 923,194 cases afflicting females. And for males, it's 358,919. We have a uh, two-thirds, one-third, or even three-to-one difference. Close to three-to-one. Somewhere between, yeah, around there. <clears throat> two-thirds, one-third, or something like that. Um, that's bad. You should not have, if this was, if adverse events were um, not related, or they were inappropriate, or they were, you know, people were filling out things that didn't really apply, whatever the story is, it should not be split by sex like that, with more females than males being afflicted. As well, we could also notice something a little bit more subtle, which is that they don't have data on 64,781. So however this data is being collected, sometimes it fails to note the gender of the person filling it out. It's only 4.8%, but that's, that's not, it tells you the system, if, if the whole point of this post-marketing surveillance was to be sure, because we're running an experiment, right? The clinical trials were short, warp-speeded, abrupt, not conclusive in a lot of ways. So you have to figure stuff out out there in the big world. So how do you do that? Well, it's an experiment, but it's only an experiment if you're a member to collect the data. If you don't collect the data, it's not even an experiment. You're just doing something, right? So here, this says that they didn't really do a good job collecting the data, not surprising. So total number of cases was 1.348 million, and the total number of adverse events, by the preferred term, was 4.563 million, okay? So mm, somewhere, somewhere around three, little over three, I guess that's 3.6-ish events for every case. So somebody might come in and, and the case would be, I'm not feeling good after that injection. What's wrong? I got a headache. My arm hurts. My breathing feels weird. Three things, right? So those would be three specific adverse events. Now, this was the one that came out. This is about 16 months of data. This was in Australia. This is what the TGA had and was reviewing right away. They should have seen this, but did they have anything earlier? Did our reviewers have anything before that? And the answer is yes, of course. Here in the EU's PSUR, right, which is the reporting period of 19th December 2020 through the 18th of June 2021, so that's a six-month period, what did they see there? A totally different format. The EU regulators clearly require a lot more data because I read through this whole document. It's 268 pages long. It goes on and on and on. By the way, written super poorly. I had to go back and forth and numbers didn't tie and words were unclear and things were left unexplained and then conclusions were made that I couldn't find any supporting data for back in the earlier data. So this thing is a hot mess as far as I'm concerned, but uh, admittedly, I may not know something about this world and how they talk in this world, but they were saying stuff that didn't make any sense to me. Now, here they found a total of 327,000 cases here. Again, cases. And 702 of those were from clinical trials. That's what CT means here. Um, but the bulk of them were coming here from the other systems out there. And again, 1.172 million events. So what are we looking at there? Well, that turns out to be 3.6 events per case. And again, though, we will notice that females are 233,000 to males being 75,000, again, 18,000, like, uh, nobody's going to bother to figure that out, not because it's not important um, to whoever was running this stuff. 
And uh, that's, again, 3.1 to 1, female to male. We have a problem, Houston. That tells me we have a safety signal of some kind here because when you see something that's specifically hitting either an age group or a gender or people with a specific comorbidity, that's a signal, that's a safety signal. So right away, this should have caused a, a furious investigation to figure out why, why are we having three females to every male reporting something into the system, right? Is this typical? Do females tend to report more things than males and this is a typical ratio? They didn't say that. So I'm gonna guess that's not the case because otherwise they would have pointed that out right away. This particular ratio difference was never mentioned in this document, all 270 pages of it-ish, didn't see anything. Now, <clears throat> next problem in this one, again, this is from um, this document here for Australia. So this is looking at where the cases came from. We have a problem I can show you right here on this, which is just the country listing saying, hey, the UK had 181,882 of these reported cases, or oops, sorry, event. Um, where the event occurred, and so on and on and on, right? Now, why is this a problem for me? Uh, because of this. We'll notice here that the United Kingdom has 67-ish million people as a population. Germany has 83 million. The Netherlands has 17 and a half million, and the United States will call that 332 million. When we divide the number of events into the population, we find that the UK was reporting 2,700 events per 1 million of population. Germany, 2,100-ish events per 1 million population. The Netherlands, a whopping 7,000 events per 1 million of population. Australia clocking in down here at 1,590. And the United States, way down here at 379. How is it possible that the United States is having such a lower event number than somebody else. It's not even kind of close, right? So to go from, call that 400 to 7,000, uh, how many times does that go in? Seven times two, 14 plus like 16 and a half, 17 times. Like, like that's a huge difference. So that tells me we have a problem right away. Either the data is being over collected in the Netherlands or way under collected in the United States or they're all wrong or whatever it is, th this should be noted. This should be saying, hey, listen, our reporting systems aren't perfect. They're really not designed to be totally accurate, but they really shouldn't be tossing off 16-fold differences from one country to the next. It speaks to a, a different problem. Does, is, did we have some sort of a lot issue that went into the Netherlands? Is the United States just really failing to report stuff? Is the 7,000 the right number or is it 2,000 or is it 1,500? Who's, who's writer in this, again, None of this was really explored, but again, we're throwing off safety signals here where you can't confidently say, hey, we know what's going on with this because we've got good data. No, you don't. This is crap data right here, it tells you. So everything we analyze is analyzed through that lens of crap. So carrying on, the next problem is we're comparing all three of these reports now again here. And so this one, this first one, this was from December 19th, 2020 through February 28th, 2021. Just a couple of months. This is the first 2.3 months-ish of the Pfizer vaccine being given. And here we see that that resolves out to, if we divide that number, 42,086 cases, into by the 2.3 months, we find that there were 16,834 cases per month. 
Now we come into this next period, which is about six, well, six months here, and we discover that that resolves when we divide all of these cases by six months. We find we are now up to 54,638 cases a month, so the cases are increasing. Okay, that could be because, you know, it takes time to ramp up a vaccination campaign, so 16,000 to 54,000, but certainly we're seeing more cases per month being mentioned, but maybe we got just a lot more people who are being vaccinated. Totally fine, totally fair assessment, but it should have been calculated and put in these documents, and it wasn't, and it wasn't explained. It's not even like, who cares? But now we are comparing the first six months to the first 16 months, and now we're up to 84,000 cases per month when we do that same math. So we can clearly see that the rate of cases is increasing. What we would want to see is we would want to see that totally leveled out. We'd want to see it normalized by population and by vaccination level by the population. Of course, whether you've just had one dose or two doses or three or four or five would probably factor into this as well. These are the safety reports, which are supposed to be the, the things by which the TGA in Australia, the FDA in the United States, and as well the EMA in Europe are sitting down and looking at these things going, do we have a safety signal to worry about or not? This right here deserves explanation. So far as I know, it goes and remains unexplained. Now let's recall that I did go through this one, which was just the first two months and this was confidential and I pointed out at the time, why is, why is uh, safety data on, on, a, on a rushed post-marketed device or uh, thing, this Pfizer vaccine, why would that be confidential? This was hidden, it took a long time to get it out. The regulators though, to be clear, had this on the 28th of February, I believe it was in their hot little hands by, by um, a week or so later in March. But they had it early in 2021. This is the data they had. And if you remember, we saw again here, these are the 42,000 cases that show up in this first 2.3 month period. And there were a couple things that popped out, but the first is, and this is very troubling, that when we see of all the cases, these 42,000 resolved first, female to male, enormous differences showing up even within the first two months. In this case, it was roughly 30,000 compared to roughly 9,000. Let's call that three to one. This right here should have popped a safety signal. This should have sent alarm bells off right away and people should have been looking at that within the regulatory bodies. Did they? I don't know. Privately. Publicly, I can tell you they didn't say anything about this. Nothing. Uh, secondarily, they broke these into age groupings. A little bit weird how these groupings go. Uh, this is under 17 as a group. 18 to 30 is a group, which is a, a 12 year window. 31 to 50, okay, uh, now we're at a, a 19 year window or I guess 20, um, depending on how you count that. 51 to 64, which is a 13 year window. 65 to 74, which is a nine year window. And then over 75, weird groupings, but this is by far the largest in terms of uh, uh, time. But look at the difference, 175 cases, 4,900 cases, 13,886 cases, then 7,000, then 3,000, then five, then two. When you, even after normalizing this for those weird age bands, this pops out. Why are the age, why are the safety signals or the cases that are being reported, why are they preferentially clustered in the 31 to 50 year old group and preferentially hitting women? This is a bizarre thing, that all on its own. If there was no safety signal and this was just random and people are just sort of feeling bad because it happens, we give something to millions of people, some of them get headaches, some of them don't feel well, 
it should be a random event and it ought to not cluster according to any particular distribution by age. Just makes sense, right? In fact, you might think you're younger people. This doesn't surprise me because A, they weren't giving it to under 17 year olds. So there were 175 accidents in there. I get that. But starting with the people they were giving it to 18 and on up, I would have expected to see the least to the most um, out here like that because they're preferentially giving it at this stage early on during those first months to people who were older and that made sense. Okay. Secondarily, there was also, we noted at the time, there were 1,223 fatalities that were assigned, not causation, but at least correlated. People had a fatal event within the context of that two month window, 2.3 month window after getting a vaccination. In this case, almost entirely, that's gonna be after the first vaccination. Very few people would have been double vaccinated within this window because um, it's just two and a half months. I mean, you could have been, but for the most part, this is gonna be a lot of first vaccinations in here. But that was an alarming single signal. We talked about it at the time, said, wow, how many of those got were looked into? And what did they determine? Next, we would note the case outcome recovered or recovering at this time was still 19,000 people were like, I'm still, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm still recovering or they recovered or 520 recovered with sequelae. Sequelae is a, is a, is a residual impact from a disease, right? Um, hey, I had tendinitis, it resolved, but I limp. Um, hey, I had uh, you know, a heart attack, it resolved, but I'm, I get winded easily and I can't go upstairs. Uh, sequelae is some sort of a, a, a downstream event that sticks with you from a disease. But look at this, 11,000 people were saying not recovered at the time of report. Now, again, this report is just the first 2.3 months, but it's clearly saying that some people are getting hit in some way and it's taking them not just a day or two to feel bad and, you know, like, uh, you know, my arm hurt and I felt a little fluey, so I stayed in bed the next day. But then on day four, I was totally fine. That's recovered. Like there are people here, 11,361 are like not recovered. 520 people recovered, but they had some sequelae of some kind. And then finally, unknown, 9,400. I hate big round numbers. Why 9,400? What do you mean 9,400? And what do you mean unknown? And what's the plan for figuring out to make them known? Like people reported in that something happened and we're like, ah, we don't know what happened. We didn't bother following up. How are we to know? Because you are doing the post-authorization monitoring. It's your job. And if you try and skate by on it, then it's the regulator's job to say, nah, no skating. Go figure that out. And why 9,400? Looks like a plug number, doesn't it? I'm suspicious when I see big round numbers. In financial terms, if I'm auditing a company's financials and I see big round numbers like that, I'm like, hmm, this is not quite right. Um, something's a little off here. That would make me dig deeper. Okay. Well, now this is uh, at the six month EU's PSUR report. They had a big table, looks like this. It's an entirely different format from the other ones, but we're gonna notice some things. The first is that, again, we see this, right? Obviously there's a lot more women than men, females and males, reporting in with some sort of a difficulty, right? 233,000, call that 234,000 compared to 75,000. But what's interesting is in the clinical trials, and there's now Germany's uh, Die Welt uh, has just dug in and said, wow, hey, some of these, there's some really weird stuff that happened in these clinical trials. It's made totally, maybe not totally believable. And 
So I'll tell you what's totally not believable to me is that in the clinical trial, the number of cases that got put out was 702 and they were split perfectly females to males. How is it possible that you had this ratio here in a clinical trial, which is one to one, and out in the real world, you have a three to one? It's kind of a weird thing. How does that happen? The clinical trial either didn't map the real world or something's happening in the real world that doesn't map to back to the conditions. Again, all of it needs to be explained, but those orange arrows right there alone tell me I would stop this if I was a regulator and I'd say, I need to understand that stuff right away. This is bizarre and it's nonsensical. Either the trials were wrong or fraudulently conducted or something's happening out in the real world that also doesn't map back to a controlled trial, so we have to understand it one way or the other, something here is wrong. Um, kind of weird, min-max, uh, somebody as young as six days got exposed and somebody as old as 121 years, just editorially, who's putting this shot in the arm of somebody who's 121? Mm, I don't know, that, that seems odd to me. But at any rate, um, <clears throat> we see here the mean and median ages are clustering right around 50. Uh, in the clinical trials, they were more like 55 and 58, and so 50-ish. Eh, okay, if the median age, of it, let's use the median for a minute. If the median age is 50 for this, it means half the people are older than 50 who got this shot and half are younger. So that gives us a sense of the age range here. And um, by the way, when we see here the age groups, what do we notice again? We notice again that the highest possible classification group, again, with these same bizarre, kind of weird um, groupings, under 17, 18 to 30, 31 to 50. So this tells me they're drawing from the same data sample sets that they use for the other one we just looked at. But again, here's what we're noticing is this massive, massive increase in shots, I'm sorry, in cases that are here in this particular age range. So what's completely bizarre about this again is that the most cases are reported in the 31 to 50 year old range. That's a very bizarre finding. Again, we should be saying time out. What is with this really weird demographic response to this? This is not what we would be expecting if the shots had a, uh, a low level of, if they were safe and they had a low level of impacts on people that were sort of general and non-specific. They kind of should be evenly distributed across the age ranges that are here, um, and that's clearly not the case. Uh, so something is really off on this, and that, that sends out to me an alarm signal right here that ties in with a lot of the other data that we were seeing from the life insurance companies, from um, looking at the, the bizarre uh, notation of died suddenly when you go out and you see who's like, when do you really notice that it's bizarre that somebody's died suddenly? They tend to be younger. So, so this is starting to fit with that. Again, this is data that they had in their hot little hands at the Europeans regulatory agency, the EMA, back, this one was done in June of 2021. This one, in this particular case. As well, you can see here that the country of occurrences, now the United States is at the top of the list with 68,000 UKs coming in second, Italy, then France, look, the Netherlands is all the way down here. And then later we see this inversion where the Netherlands shoots way up on that list relative um, to the others and the United States slips way down this list. So whatever happened in the first six months was not mirrored in the, in the next 12, well, next 10 months that happened after that for the 16 month report. Okay, finally on this table, we'll note that serious cases here, there were 100,808 serious cases 
702 within a clinical trial setting here, which we talked about before. And um, that's 100,000 serious cases. Now, serious can mean all kinds of things and not everything that you might think intuitively is serious is actually really serious. It's a, a fever above a certain level you might get, pyrexia, but then it goes down, it resolves. That would be scored as serious. But so would somebody having chest pain and who then later um, has a, a lifelong uh, condition associated with that uh, because they've got myocarditis or pericarditis. Those would both be serious. So serious is not um, a great dividing line here, but at least it says there were 100,000 things. Those are 100,000 people because these are cases saying, wow, that, this that, it's, was not good here. Okay, um, and we see as well at the 16 month out of the, Australia data, same thing. Look at this, 491,000 cases at the 16-month mark are clustered here at the 31 to 50-year-old bucket. Now, why is that? We should get answers to that. Somebody should have been asked, why is that? Why there? And we would have answers to that, and, and we don't have answers to that. As well, bizarre to me that we're collecting this data, and it's unknown in 141,932 cases, or 10% of all reported cases how old the person was. That seems like very, very basic information. So if you can't even collect somebody's age or gender, um, as we see here with 64,000 unknowns, um, no data on it. Um, just if you can't even collect very, very basic data, we have to put a, a big grain of salt on the remaining data because that's clearly, it's not very robust data when you can't tell what gender somebody is or what age they are. And now you're trying to resolve something a little bit subtler than that. So again, it just speaks to the idea that there's something not um, so great about this particular effort that we underwent to try and accurately monitor what was happening out there in the general populace once these shots had been approved through the EUA process. All right, um, digging down, we are now in that Australian release data. This is the 16-month data. This is through April 15, 2022. Again, 1.348 million cases, 4.563 million adverse events, and what do we see? So, well, headaches, uh, that was the most common one with 278,000 cases out of those 1.3 million reporting that headache, 20%. One in five people bothering to report into the system said that headache, uh, fatigue. So 219,325 people reporting fatigue. But I don't know what why fatigue is different from malaise necessarily or from what's called asthenia here, which is abnormal physical weakness or lack of energy. This is something we see in this. There are 170 pages to this thing. And the first three pages is a couple of tables and some intro, and all the rest is just a laundry list of things. It's like page after page after page. And many of these things, I don't know why they're separate. I don't know why how is arthralgia, which is painful joints, different from pain in extremity, different from pain, different from, I, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so at any rate, uh, it seems like some of these things were spread out, maybe they could be grouped again. And then as well, some other things were grouped in really weird ways that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But at any rate, we can see out of these 1.348 million cases, this is how they're structured out by the end of just this first grouping of whatever that is, 15 or so. Um, we see here, uh, we're down to 55,000. So let's keep going because this gets fascinating. Um, first up, chest pain shows up here 
and they put this down under general disorders and administration site conditions. General disorders, administration site conditions. Chest pain? Now, chest pain's not a good thing. Um, chest pain, to me, would be something you would probably be putting down more, um, potentially, you'd want to resolve. Is this a cardiac issue? Is this a, uh, some sort of a, a breathing issue? We don't know, but chest pain's kind of vague. Anyway, I got tossed down under general disorders and site conditions here. 37,170 cases reporting in with that particular thing. 37,170 people said, ah, my, my chest hurts. Enough to go out and get a report um, submitted. And by the way, we know a lot of people did not get their reports submitted at all. We've presented that data before, but there are people who know that they submitted a VAERS report and it went into the system allegedly, and now they can't find their own case report. So it's just, it's not a, it's a lot of things happen there that are not awesome. <clears throat> but I wanna direct our attention now to this idea that one, there were 27,685 reports here of heavy menstrual bleeding. There were 22,000 reports of menstrual disorder, whatever that means. Uh, another 15,000 reports down here of menstruation irregular. Okay. Hmm. Um, let's carry on with that, that line of uh, inquiry here. We see here as well, uh, menstruation delayed, 13,989 cases of delayed. Dysmenorrhea, so the um, period cycle has been disrupted. Intermenstrual bleeding here, uh, another 12,000 of that, so that's between cycles, bleeding when you shouldn't be. Amenorrhea, so bleeding just stopped altogether. Polymenorrhea, uh, and on and on. So, and all of these are down here as reproductive system and breast disorders, that's how they categorized them. And um, that's very bizarre because, uh, remember, the, by definition, any one of those things right there is gonna be impacting fertility by definition, right? So uh, that's weird because if you go to the CDC website, you will find this, I just pulled this down on the 22nd of February, 2023. They say right on, right here on here, COVID-19 vaccines are not associated. That's a declarative definitive sentence, are not associated with fertility problems in women or men. Now, I would very much like to have the CDC explain how somebody who is now um, amenorrhea is no longer having a menstrual cycle, how that has not somehow affected their fertility. Be really curious, because that would be a whole new branch of fertility science that is unknown to me. I'd be very interested to hear what they have to say about that. Carrying on, uh, we see things here. There were 3,000 cases of people. They had loss of personal independence and in daily activities. So interpret that however you want. When I say loss of personal independence in my daily activities, it means I need help getting around now. I am no longer capable of getting out of bed or going to the bathroom. And they categorize this under social circumstances. Odd. But carrying on, uh, see people here with muscles twitching and rash macular product preparation error, but then here's a class, death. Death, 2,894 cases of death. <clears throat> By the way, that's not even remotely close to a complete number, and I'll show you what the data is actually in just a second. Just in the VAERS system, this is supposed to be a comprehensive global worldwide report. 
not even close to um, up to date in, in terms of what's going on out there. But death is now recorded under general disorders and administration site conditions. You mean, oh, you know, it's, this guy felt his, his arm hurt a little after the jab. This guy died. Kind of comparable. Uh, it's an administration site conditions or it's a general disorder. You know what? I hate it when you have that general disorder, you know, when you die. It's one of those general disorders. Uh, it's just bizarre to me. But again, notice the different classifications. How is death different than sudden death? Here it is. Remember I said died suddenly? Well, there it is. It's right in the safety report that went out to all the administrators out there in the various continents. And it says sudden death, 679 cases. There it is. And then there's fetal death and sudden cardiac death. However, that's different from death and sudden death. There's cardiac death, which is different from sudden cardiac death. Then there's brain death and neonatal death and premature baby death, right? Um, again, smallish numbers down here, but it's just bizarre how it all got categorized and characterized. Again, questions. This just leads to lots and lots of questions. I understand why you would not want to just sort of generally release this because somebody like me might come along and go, this is weird looking. What do you mean by all this stuff? Can you explain this? And the answer is generally no, and they don't want to. We know that. If we go into the VAERS system through this place, the openvares.com, the openvares project here, and we actually look at what's been reported in here, we actually see thousands. And so again, this, this one's only up through June of, yeah, this one's June of, no, sorry, this is April. Yeah, 16th of April, 2022. So there's May, June, July, August, September, but this one's really only recording. You can see here I pulled up every instance of death, sudden death, all that. 2,800, uh, 3,500, uh, let's call it 3,600 deaths. Well, something happened between then, April, and now because this is up through current. And we see here that there are 4,100 reports of death that happened in less than 24 hours after the vaccine administration within the VAERS system. So this is death by days to onset all ages. Um, people who died within one day is another 3,100 and another 1,000 or oh, 1,500 here within two days and another 1,000-ish here on day three and we'll call that 750 and so on. So this is a classic signal right here, classic that we would see here. And point one, this is many, many, many more reported deaths than we saw here in this. But this report doesn't do the time, but it just lists all these things out. You're a regulator, you look at this and you're scanning down the list and there's 280,000 cases of headache. And then you come down and you see 2,800 cases of death is way down on the list. It's down there on page 170 or whatever. And it gets lost. When you present it this way, now we go, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That's, I could, I could make a, cent, a case for why within you know, 28 days, way out here, you know, a certain number of people are going to die within the population of people who've been vaccinated because it's a very big number. I get that. But if there was no signal, this should be a dead flat number all the way along, including down here. This is a this is an obvious safety signal. It's very big. This should not be happening with day one and day two being so much bigger than day three and four and so on. That shape is a classic safety signal that says something's happening. It's temporally associated. Does it prove causation? Uh-uh, but this is a smoking gun that says, you better be looking at this. Um, absolutely. Did they? I don't think so. Um, here in the UK, you know, when, they're, when you go to their website, which is right here at uh, .gov UK, right here, 
and uh, go to the publication. So I just pulled this down just a couple days ago. So this is fresh. Um, what they say here is what are the possible side effects of the Pfizer vaccine? And they say the most common side effects were pain at the injection site, tiredness, headache, muscle pain, chills, joint pain, and fever. True. Those were the most common. What they basically said was they listed off the top of this particular sheet and said the most common things were headache, tiredness, fever, injection site pain, and chills and nausea. That's what they basically said here. So this is what they're, you're going here, you're concerned, you know, consumer, you're a doctor, you want to know what's up there. Like the most common, it's most common, most common, most common, tiredness, headache, chills, joint pain, and fever. And then they go on to say adverse events were usually mild or moderate in intensity. Hmm. Hmm. They said here as well, furthermore, the side effects observed with these vaccines are considered to be similar to those seen with other vaccines. Mm, you, this, no, you won't see anything like this. This does not exist for any other one that I'm aware of. That, that's different. But I love that. The most common, right? The most common side effects are usually mild. What do you mean usually? What, if, what about the unusual cases? I mean, let me reword this. That's like as if, if you're, you're, you wanted to sign your, your kids up for, um, to go to the army or something, and the recruiter said, you asked, well, hey, recruiter, what are the possible side effects of war? And they said, you know what? There are millions of bullets are fired during war, and most of them never even hit, never hit anybody. Of the few that do, the most common impact sites, which may infect, you know, maybe one in 10 soldiers, are, are chest plates, trouser leggings, boots, helmets. Most damage reported was mild or moderate in intensity, easily resolved. You know, duct tape and maybe a simple wound dressing. Obviously, that's not the reality of war, right? So that's what, that's what you do when you're just trying to minimize something with language, and that's exactly what we're seeing here, right? What do you mean most common and usually? What about the less common? Or what about the fact that there are... That, that if, what if they had worded this and said, you know, the most common are these 10, but we, we have to be honest. Um, there's 170 pages of listed things and, um, and could include... <laughs> All kinds of things, including death, sudden death, da 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 da, da. Um, And saying usually mild, again, this isn't scientific language. This is impossibly useless wording from an informed consent standpoint or from a medical standpoint. This doesn't tell you anything. You come here, this is their FAQ. What do you need to know? You read it and you come away with no additional understanding about what might be happening. So it's, it's uh, very much not helpful. And they know that. Now, what was interesting was on this PSUR on page 209, yes, I told you I combed through this stupid thing. They said here, a nurse reported that 77 subjects had inadvertently received a full undiluted vial from batch PAA165969. I'm, I'm a curious guy. I am your information scout. I'm like, hmm. You go to this thing where you can find out um, how certain batch codes have actually performed and we find here that that batch code right here, PAA165969, had 64 adverse events reported within it. Um, one death, five disabilities here. When you search it across this, somebody recorded the number a little oddly. There were two there. You could also look at it here. There were three adverse reports, no deaths, no disabilities, no life-threatening illness, etc. Um, so... 64 plus another seven, so 71. This bat, this particular batch was was uh, noted with 71 separate adverse events. Is that a lot? Well, given that 77 subjects received like a whole vial 
I actually, this is pretty encouraging to me. Um, says, well, maybe not. However, curious guy, I dig around in this database a little bit more, and I asked the top question. I said, were there any, what were the batches associated with the most deaths, for instance? Ooh, this is where it got a little rough. You see here, 241 out of this one batch right here, this one lot. The whole VAR system was set up to be uh, a system that was not designed to prove causality. It was there like a Geiger counter, pointed it in direction, and if it started detecting hits, if the Geiger counter starts to scream from any particular direction, it was supposed to tell you that. And then you would go and you would look and say, why is my Geiger counter screaming? Is there uh, a whole bunch of dried banana chips there? Because the potassium-40 in those makes uh, Geiger counters um, scream a bit. Or is it uranium or plutonium? We want to know, right? So that's what it was designed to do. This is a screaming Geiger counter to a guy like me. I look at this and I go, wow. You know, 241, and this one's 234, and 199, with just these individual batches right here. In fact, a huge collection of the reported deaths all happened within just a handful of batches, whereas we compared that to, um, oh, I don't know. Uh, I found, so I'm curious, and I dug at the bottom of this thing, and I found that some of these, a lot of these batches, had just one adverse event report. That's how a batch shows up in VARES at all. So you have to have an adverse event. There were approximately 15,000 lots that had just one event associated with them. 15,000 out of 49,256. So almost 50,000 separate lots. And it turns out just a handful of them were responsible for most of what ended up on this chart. And so that's something you would want to look at. What also I found kind of interesting um, when I dug in here just a tiny bit, when I looked at these top ones that went places, it was kind of weird. Okay, this one went to United States and some unknown country. This one went to Switzerland, United States, some unknown country. This one went to the UAE, the United States, and some unknown country. This one went to the United States, United States, United States. United States, uh, wait, this one went to Switzerland as well, um, and that's yeah, kind of weird, right? Why Switzerland's a tiny country. How did it end up like twice at the top of this? And I'm not surprised because you know you you know this this just came out um, on the 12th of January 2023 and found out that excess mortality in Switzerland was exceptionally high in 2022. So maybe it's not so much of a surprise. Don't know. Um, so that's really how I begin to put all of those things there together. And when I look at it, it's, it's completely obvious that there should have been, there's th these safety reports are throwing off just massive amounts of safety signals that at least ought to be resolved and looked at, and we ought to have good explanations for them. We shouldn't have any hand waving. We shouldn't be settled with regulators saying, oh, we looked into that and found nothing. Like, no, no, we need to see, like, we deserve answers. We deserve to know what you find. Because there's very clear, obvious signals that do show up in this. Now, are we going to get those answers? Probably not, which is why when I go to part two of this, I have to talk about their philosophy there. These are the people who are fundamentally in the business of, of trying to control your lives, feed you poisonous stuff, sell you back to cures, make sure that you're, you're distracted, et cetera, et cetera. They have a philosophy, but there's a way that we can win uh, given 
the world that we live in. So this is what I'm going to be talking about back at Peak Prosperity. If you want to come on by and check that out, that's great. Otherwise, please hit like, hit subscribe. We're trying to get over 500,000 subscribers here because then the algorithm treats us differently. So if you've been unsubscribed and it happens all the time to our channel, unfortunately, resubscribe, that helps. Hit like, that helps. But the biggest thing you can do is share this with somebody who needs to know this information because that's how we win. That's how the common knowledge game finally breaks out and the whole thing turns and we can get past this little sordid time we've been in, get back to truth, honor, integrity, and doing the right things for the right reasons. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.